my friend. Thank you. It, it's good to be here. Um, as you've heard, I've, I've been involved with Back to Back uh, for a few years. I've been going to India uh, since the early 2000s. Uh, when I became a Christian, God really laid India on my heart. I've no idea why. Um, I've wept tears over that nation uh, and eventually got to go and I now lead teams there on a regular basis. I'm going out in February uh, again, so we'll be out with Back to Back as part of that and also visiting projects in Delhi uh, and Calcutta. And I get the privilege this year of taking my family with me. So I've got a a little four-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. Um, They'll be coming with me. It'll be their second trip. Um, If any of you guys have not been on one of these trips of Back to Back, I want to encourage you to go. For us as a church, since we started going overseas and engaging with um, people from all around the world and, uh, you know, understanding some of the struggles that they have and being part of the solution to that, um, it has transformed our church um, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, It's incredible. Um, Anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about, really. Um, In Southampton, um, in, in our church, in City Life, we are... Uh, currently exploring and going through a series looking at prayer and presence. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, I've been, I've been a Christian now for some time, uh, getting on for 30 years nearly. Um, I'm older than I look. Um, I, I wasn't brought up a Christian, I was brought up atheist um, and uh, encountered God uh, just before I started secondary school. Um, and... I don't know about you, but one of the things over, over that time is it's quite easy to live uh, kind of in a relationship with God um, that at times can lack power. Uh, it can lack an awareness of God's presence. And I uh, am in, in a place at the moment where I'm hungry for the presence of God in my life. You know, God is everywhere. We know that he's everywhere. He is omnipresent. But there is a difference between recognising the omnipresence of God and the manifest, tangible presence of God. And I'm hungry for that in my life. I don't see any point uh, in me going about my day-to-day business and uh, the work I do in community and what we do through the church around the world unless the presence of God is tangibly present with me. There is no point. And I I am sold out, I think, for the presence of God uh, in my life now. I am hungry for it. You know, Moses uh, in Exodus 33 said there's no point uh, in God sending out his people unless the presence of God goes with them because what would mark them as being different? I can go out and I can do good works, but unless the presence of God is in and through me, it's pointless. Um, and I understand at the moment you're, you've just started a new series looking at how big is your God. Pinch that from your website. Um, This is great because understanding how big our God is is really crucial, I think, to us carrying and hosting his presence in our lives. Um, I understand you started looking at the story of Joseph last week. I love the story of Joseph. Um, You know, one of the things that really intrigues me about the story is how uh, he uh, lived through the circumstances he had to face and yet continued his journey with God. Um, You know, his... His story in the Bible is set before the law was given. There was no, there was no written uh, law. There was no guidelines for how people ought to live in relationship with God. So to get through what he did and remain in relationship with God, he must have known the presence of God. You can't have a relationship with someone without knowing the presence. You know, I can't have a relationship with my wife that is of any meaningful level unless I actually know who she is, unless I'm able to relate to her in some way. You know, there was no... 
um, you know, I, I can have a relationship on one level and I can know about someone if there is a written record of them, you know, I can know about, say, Winston Churchill or, you know, Mother Teresa or whoever. I've never met them, but I can have a level of understanding of who they are because there's a written record. Joseph had no written record of who God was. The law was not written down. There was an oral tradition. There was nothing written from his forefathers about relationship with God. He must have had a vital, living, personal connection with God. You know, this is how big our God is. He is big enough to make himself vulnerable in relationship with us, his people, in order to release transformation into the world. That's how big he is. He could come in and wipe out the enemy in an instant, but instead he chooses to do it through his children to release the kingdom on earth through us, to release salvation into the world through us. Yes, it's him that does the work, but he chooses to do it with his children. You know, the story of Joseph, um, it really, you know, it it highlights how God can work in and through circumstance and position people for purpose. You know, we know from, well, one of my um, favourite chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. I don't know if you're allowed to have favourites amongst the word of God. It's all good. Uh, It is all beneficial, but I've got a favourite. It is Romans 8. And in Romans 8, verse 28, it says that in all things, God uh, works together uh, for good, for those who love him and according called according to his purpose, isn't it? You know, and through the circumstances of Joseph's life, you know, he was sold into slavery by his own family, by his brothers. Uh, he was falsely imprisoned. Um, you know, sent to uh, rot in a dungeon. Uh, and you know, if that would have been me, I would have been pretty bitter at that stage. I'd have been thinking, "Come on, God, where are you in this?" You know, he's got this relationship, however, that saw him through. You know, God was able to then work through his circumstance and turn it for good. And that's incredible. Um, As we know, um, Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, but he he didn't stop at just interpreting. He went straight on from saying, this is the interpretation of the dream, to saying, and this is what you need to do about it. He brought a creative solution to a problem that was facing the entire nation and the entire region. And uh, because of his positioning, uh, and because of his relationship with God and the presence he carried and the use of his spiritual gifts to interpret that dream, he was then able to say, and here's the solution, bringing, so we're saving the entire nation and the nations around. But there are, and I, I love creative solutions. This, this here is um, a random picture, but it, it's a picture of uh, a homemade um, machine that will recycle plastic. So you get your empty bottles or your waste stuff that you find that's made of plastic, it melts it down and you can recreate stuff, you know, knives, forks, bins, whatever you like. You can create a mould and create anything you like. I love that as a creative solution. You know, around the world and in places like India, there are, uh, there's tons of plastic and rubbish just lining uh, the countryside and the streets. You know, this is a creative solution that not only could solve that as an issue, but then create income um, and generate employment. I love that kind of thing. I love creative solutions. They've, you know, in India, they've also um, created this uh, edible spoon made out of waste products from kind of wheat production. Um, so rather than having plastic spoons that then just create additional waste, they've created an edible one and they can manufacture it as cheaply as they can do plastic. You know, the mobile phone, incredible solution. To, to a problem. You know, I am on the other side of the world from my family at the moment, but I can pick up my phone and I can see them, I can FaceTime them. I, I don't know if you've ever actually thought about it, but I, this is not connected by wires to anything. I don't get that. 
you know, I, can under, I could look into the technology, but somebody came up with that as an idea. That's incredible, right? And people, including us, can come up with ideas and creative solutions for stuff, but there are things in this world that our ideas will never solve. You know, for, for years, uh, as a human race, we've been trying to work to bring peace to the world and stop war. We've not done very well. You can't overcome hate with, a, with an idea or with a creative solution. It takes love to overcome hate. You can't, you know, there are sickness and diseases in this world that with all the advance in medical science, we haven't got any closer uh, to providing a cure or a, um, you know, a solution for. Some of those things need healing. The creative solution for these kind of problems is the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom there is love, there is peace, there is hope, there is healing. And Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he he started that Lord's Prayer by teaching us that God is our Father. When we pray this prayer, we're not just praying out into the air and the atmosphere. We are talking to the God who is present with us in our lives. Able to talk in intimacy to say, your kingdom come, God. But actually, ultimately, the question is, whose kingdom is it? It's not just God's. It is ours, because we are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. You know, my children live with me in my house. They carry my name. Wherever they go, they are known as part of my family. And they come into my house, and they treat it as their own, because it is their own. It might be my name on the mortgage, but it's their house, as much as it is mine. They invite their friends round. They open up the fridge when they are hungry. They help themselves. It is their house. It is our kingdom because it is our God. And my encouragement, I guess, this morning is that with some of these things that the world faces that we need creative solutions for, God says to us that we are his creative solution. Because we are kingdom carriers. We are his children. We are brought into relationship with God because of what Christ did on the cross. We are empowered by the Spirit and we carry his presence. So wherever we go, we are the creative solution to the problems that this world faces. And that's good news, right? Yeah? Okay, I'm, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back. Um, Father, I thank you that... Um, that none of the problems that this world faces faze you because you are a God who is bigger than our circumstance. You are a God who has already won the victory over sin, over sickness and over death. And as a result, you empower us, your children, to be creative solutions in this world, to be kingdom bringers. That is how big you are, that you enable us, little me, little you, to carry your presence and to be so full of the presence of God that we can bring transformation. And Lord, I know that there is another translation of that Romans 8.28 that says this, For God works together with those who love him and are called according to his purpose to turn all things for good. And I thank you that you've purposed us to do just that. I pray you'd help us live in the light of that truth, that we would be part of the solution, that we would release your kingdom everywhere we go and that we would be aware of your tangible, manifest presence in and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
And this morning you might be asking, God, please show me the way. I mean, show me the way. And I believe that there are exit ramps in our lives that God gives us opportunities to to change the path that we are on. He he provides these exit ramps and he, he wants us to leave the path that we are on presently to a path that is his alone for your life. And I know so many people are here this morning looking around the world, looking at their own lives and, and asking God, God, show me the way. What, what do you have for my life? Help me find my identity in you alone. Help me know my purpose, my reason for existence. Show me the clear path. He's encouraging us to take the, the good way. He's encouraging us to take his way. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, we read this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Last week... Last week, I asked you um, to start setting some goals, to lay out a specific goal for your life. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everyone has to lay out these goals. I want you to pick a goal or goals. I want you to think, where am I right now in my spiritual life? I don't care if this is your first time in church. Okay, where am I right now in my spiritual life and where would I like to be? What are some issues I'd like to overcome? What are some things that are affecting my life and not allowing me to be the person that God created me to be? I want you to write those things down. Some paper in the back after the service. Write one down. Roll it up. Stick it in the fence. Just for you. A goal. Because we're going to go through this series. And the goal of this series is to take us from one place and lead us to another place. So what are my goals? What is God doing in my life? How, how can I set a plan in place or actually find God's plan for me? And then reach that particular goal. You know, you think to yourself, why is it important to plan? Why is it so important for us to even set goals? Because if you don't know where you're going, you're going to get there. If you don't know where you're going, if you're not setting goals, if you don't have, if you're not saying, God, what is your plan for my life? If you're not setting those goals, you're going to get there. Last week, we started talking about 17-year-old Joseph and God's, God's providence in his life, God's hand in his life, and how it relates to our spiritual journey. Because this is all about our spiritual journey here, this series. We're using the children of Israel and their journey from bondage in Egypt to the promised land, but they're gone, okay? This is, this, this is a, what God has left us, this story, this, this, story, this incredible story of the children of Israel leaving bondage in Egypt and going to the promised land. But it's about us. I, this needs to be about your life, your, your specific life and what God wants to do in your life and helping you move forward in your spiritual journey. This series is called How Big Is Your God? And like I just said, it's really we're going to track the, the, the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt to the promised land. But before we talk about them getting to the promised land, we, we have to ask the question, how did they get to Egypt in the first place? How did they even get there? And this is where we, it leads us to the, to the story of Joseph. We started out last week in Genesis 37 in verse 3. We talked about Jacob had a son, Joseph. 
He had many sons, all right? But Joseph was his favorite. And because Joseph was his favorite, it caused all kinds of problems for Joseph. Parents, not a good idea to play favorites with your kids, okay? Causes all kinds of problems. So not good for sibling rivalry right there, okay? Actually, it's really good for sibling rivalry. Now, you don't want to have, you don't want to have favorites, but Jacob had a favorite because he was born to, um, to him in his older age, in old age, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was his favorite. Because of that, his brothers hated him, hated his guts, wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they end up throwing him in a pit, in a well, in a cistern. They throw him down there. And they're going to kill him. And basically, as the story goes, they decide instead to sell him into slavery. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take Joseph from his his homeland to Egypt, where he is sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is a captain of the bodyguard for the Pharaoh. He's a very powerful man. So Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house as his slave. All right. And then the story begins to get even more interesting. The plot thickens when Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and starts to take notice of him, because the Bible says in in Genesis chapter thirty nine, six and seven, it says this. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. When the Bible says you're well built and handsome, you're well built and handsome. Okay. All right. It makes a point. It's not just, yeah, he was all right. He was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. Okay, so Joseph's in the house and now she's, you know, harassing him uh, because he's such a good looking guy. And in verses eight and nine, it says this. But he refused with me in charge. He told her my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then do I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, Joseph is not just thinking about Potiphar here. And, you know, oh, that would mess up my relationship with Potiphar. Joseph's more concerned about his relationship with God. And if you want to fulfill your purpose in life, if you want to have a successful spiritual journey in life from where you are right now to the end of your life, you've got a key in on this. Joseph was more concerned about his relationship with God. How could I do this wicked thing? And basically, how could I do? How could I sin against God? See, our loyalty is to God first. How do you overcome temptation when it comes to peer pressure and things like that? Because your loyalty is first to God. You're not as concerned about what other people think about you. You're concerned about what God thinks about you. I know that's hard if you're like 13, 14, 16, 18 or whatever. And even at work, you know, at work, what people think about me. But when you love God more than anything, anyone else then those things don't bother you as much. And Joseph was more concerned about God than he was anything else. See, we we need to look at every decision of our lives, okay, based upon our relationship with God. And we need to ask the question all the time. When you find yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable, you're not really sure what to do, how is this going to affect my relationship with God? Is, is my relationship with this guy or girl, is this going to be a positive? Is this going to be a positive in my relationship with God? Everything you do, who you date, the decisions you make at work, how you, how you parent, all those things. You have to ask the question, how is this going to build my relationship with God? Is this going to make me a stronger follower of Jesus Christ? Every decision that we make, we need to look at everything Everything in our lives through those lenses. See, no matter what happens to us, 
are what the world throws at us. We need to remember who we are, right? What did Dan just say? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We need to remember who we are and we need to remember whom we belong to. We belong to God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And we belong to God. And if we remember that as the most important thing in our lives, and some of you are sitting here maybe thinking, well, I'm in church and he's supposed to talk about God. Listen to me. I know it's hard when you don't have a lot of background, but there truly is a living God. Jesus Christ truly did come to earth. He lived, okay, and died for us. And this God wants a relationship with you. And right now you're walking a path. We talked, show me the way you're walking a path that's going to lead down the road, especially if you're younger, to a life that you're not going to want to live. How do you know who to choose to marry? How do you know what job you should pick? How do you know what school? I mean, these are all things. They're not all exact answers. But the closer you are to God, the closer you are to God, the better decisions you'll make now and in the future. God loves you so much. God wants a relationship with you. And we need to walk in that light all the time, all the time. Okay, so she keeps bugging him, right? And he keeps kind of putting her off. And in verse 10, it says this. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even smart man, even be with her. Okay. Not just, you know, he avoided her like the plague, okay? That's basically what it's saying. So one day, Joseph's alone in the house, minding his own business, right? Trying to get on with his business and being a slave in that house and being his master Potiphar. And, and uh, his, the Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and says, hey, once again, hey, come to bed with me. And, and Joseph's like, I don't want anything to do with it. So she snatches him by the robe, right, by, the, by his clothes. And, and he does the right thing. He runs out and leaves his cloak, his, co- his robe, in her hands. She's got it there. and She's, uh, you know, a woman scorned kind of thing. You know, who was a slave not going to want to sleep with me? So she's ticked. She goes and starts screaming and telling everyone in the house, this Hebrew guy, he was trying to take advantage of me. And then when Potiphar gets home, he, she tells Potiphar the same story, her husband. And now Joseph's life is again in total turmoil. It's, compl- <laughs> it's in chaos once again. And Joseph has to be thinking to himself, you have got to be kidding me. God, why is this happening to me? I'm a good son. I was a good son. Okay, perfect. No, but I was a good son. All right. And I get thrown in. I get thrown in a cistern. I get thrown in a pit. I was I was a faithful slave to my master. And then his wife goes and lies about me. First, my brothers take my robe and throw me in a pit. Then this woman grabs my robe and I get thrown in prison. I hate robes, okay? Give me a cardigan. Give me something. You know, come on. I mean, let's, you know, I, I, I'm done with robes. No more robes for Christmas. All right. I don't want any of this. Obviously, it's not Christmas back then. But he doesn't want any gifts that are robes. He's sick and tired of robes. I mean, I, well, can you imagine every time he turns around, someone gets a robe and he gets in trouble. So he's basically, you know, I'm just making all this stuff. He didn't say any of this. He doesn't care about the robe. <laughs> but here's the thing. God is still with him. God is still with them. Here's the deal. God is still with you. No matter what you're going through right now in your life, God is with you. 
No matter what stresses you're, you're dealing with in your family life and your relationship with your friends, your relationships with your, with your spouse, your rela- God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. See, the circumstances here for Joseph were completely unfair. This, this was completely unfair. unfair. But God's providence, okay, was still working in Joseph's life. God used the evil... The evil that was inflicted upon Joseph to fulfill his purpose in Joseph's life. That's how amazing God is. When the world throws all this garbage at you, God's taken, like he showed that picture before, like here's this machine you can build out of scraps and whatever. God can take all the scraps and all the evil and all the baloney and all the whatever you want to put in place and God can turn it around. He can bring beauty out of the ashes of your life. God can bring beauty out of the ashes of your life because God is in complete control. He doesn't condone and he doesn't inflict evil. He never condones or inflicts evil on us. But God can use the evil and God did use the evil of others for Joseph's good. He used it for Joseph's good. Okay. So that moves us on to chapter 40. And chapter 40, I call, with friends like this, who needs enemies? All right? Friends like this, who needs enemies? Now, he goes to prison, but God is right there with him. Every step of the way, God is right there with him. And God is always, like I said, with us. Listen to me. God is not an outside observer of your pain. He is a participant with you in your pain. He goes through what you go through. He experiences it with you. He's not some somewhere out there kind of God. He, he is with you in all of your pain. Um, the first time I heard uh, of Elie Weissel, uh, he is a Holocaust survivor. And the first time I ever heard his story or the story I'm going to share with you was from Ravi Zacharias. And then later on, my daughter Jen, was in, when she was in Mason High School, uh, he came and spoke at the school. And she got about 40 minutes standing outside of a door with him to talk to him. She said it was absolutely the most incredible experience. And what we're talking about here is a God who is with us every step of the way. And here's the story that he tells as a Holocaust survivor. They came, uh, then came the march past the victims. The two men were no longer alive. Their tongues were hanging out swollen and bluish. But the third rope was still moving. The child too light was still breathing. And so he remained for more than a half an hour, lingering between life and death, withering before our eyes. And we were forced, we were forced to look at him at close range. He was still alive when I passed him, his tongue still red, his eyes not yet extinguished. Behind me, I heard a man asking, for God's sake, where is God? Where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer, where is he? There he is, hanging here on this gallows. There he is, hanging there on the gallows. God is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. God does not inflict the evil and doesn't condone the evil, but God can use whatever evil has been inflicted upon you in your life in the past or what's happening to you in the present. You've got to hang 
on to him with all of your might. And God will use what the, what the evil that has been thrown at you, God will use it for your good. Verse 20 says that Joseph is put into the prison where Pharaoh puts his prisoners. So it's a specific prison where Pharaoh puts the people um, that, are, that are a part of uh, his uh, maybe inner circle or the people in that circle. So he gets thrown into this prison. And Joseph then, being Joseph, because he's resilient, finds favor in the eyes of the warden. All right. So he finds favor. The warden then puts all of the prisoners under Joseph's responsibility. Now, Joseph's responsibility to oversee all the prisoners in this jail. Joseph, my friends, is resilient. And I'm going to keep using that word over and over and over again during this series. We need to be resilient. Joseph was resilient. And because Joseph was resilient, because Joseph had determination, because Joseph wouldn't give up, God continues to bless his life. No matter what is thrown at him, he hangs on to God with all of his strength and God continues to bless him. Listen to me. Truth and time walk hand in hand. Truth and time walk hand in hand. There are going to be times where people will falsely accuse you. They will lie about you. And when that happens, your best defense is a righteous life. Your best defense is to live a righteous life, to live an honest life, to live a Christ-like life. Because truth and time walk hand in hand. And when people say things about you at school or people say things about you in the neighborhood or people say things about you at work, over time, if you continue to live the life that God has called you to live, people will say, you know, they say that about her, but I haven't seen it. What I see in the years that I've known this person is opposite of what people say about them. Truth and time walk hand in hand. And Joseph had that understanding. He had that understanding. Everywhere he goes, his leadership skill and his trustworthiness is so obvious that he rises to the top everywhere, everywhere, every situation he's thrown into his his trustworthiness and his leadership skill is so obvious that he just makes his way to the top and seems very quickly. In verse 22, it actually says, and he was made responsible for all that was done there in the prison, all that was done there. It was literally the inmate running the prison. You know, I say the inmates run. This was literally one inmate running the prison. Verse 23 says this. The, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This story is about God. This story is about God. Remember we said last week, we said last week that people have the freedom to choose. We have freedom. Okay. We have the freedom as human beings to choose. We have the freedom to make decisions. But no man's decision or no woman's decision can thwart the will of God. No man or woman in this war, in this world, can, can, can stop God's plan for your life. Nothing can stop God's plan for your life except for you. Nobody else has the power, okay, to stop God's plan for your life. And we need to remember that. We need to have that resilience. Nothing can thwart the will of God. 
Okay, in chapter 40, the plot thickens even more because then you have the baker of the of the Pharaoh and the and the cupbearer who kind of brought him his drinks. They they tick the Pharaoh off, right? They maybe they were plotting against him or something, and maybe they're trying to poison him, whatever the case. He thought they were, but he he made he they made him angry, and so they're on the outs, and so he puts them in the same prison as Joseph, right? Inner circle, throw them in the prison with Joseph. And so while they're in prison with Joseph, they both have this dream on the same night. And the next, they're all wigged out. And the next morning they get up and Joseph recognizes they're kind of like in a funk. He realizes that they, they look dejected. And in verses 7 and 8, it says, why do you look so sad today? Then they said to him, we've had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God Tell me your dream, please. You guys tell me your dream. So they tell Joseph their dream and Joseph interprets the entire dream. And basically what he says, he goes to the he goes to the cupbearer and says, hey, cupbearer, um, you, you know, you're going to be restored to your position. OK, you're going to be completely restored to your position. Everything's going to go well. And the baker's like, oh, what, what does my dream mean? Um, you're going to be hanged and birds going to eat your flesh. No. Huh? Bummer for you. Um, so in verse in verse 21, in verse 21, it basically says the cupbearer is restored to his position. And then in verse 22, um, the baker is hanged and uh, and birds eat him. So that's Joseph is r- basically right on target. Now, we got to be clear. It is God. OK, it's God who gives Joseph Joseph the interpretation. Joseph cannot read the future. Nobody can can know the future. God gives special privilege sometime to people and tells them what's going to happen. But no person individually has the ability to read the future. It's God who does the interpretation. Now, you might be thinking, right, like I would think, like I think, you know, if that happened to me and I'm the cupbearer, that I'm going to be buddies with Joseph. I mean, look what's happened. Every, you know, Joseph said this and he brought me, encouraged me. And, and so now everything's going the way I want it to go. You'd think that the cupbearer would really, um, would, would have a, would be on Joseph's side. Okay. But no, Joseph says this in verses 14 and 15. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have I have done nothing to deserve being put in the dungeon. So listen, when you get there, you just put in a good word for me. Is that too much to ask? Honestly, right? Joseph just does this guy a favor. And he's saying, hey, when you get back to the palace, because you're going to get back there. Can you just put a good word in for me? Not too much to ask. Uh, look at verse 23. The cup, uh, the, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I don't know about you. At this point, I'm making a hit list. Okay. I'm making a hit list. Those brothers of mine, you know, bury them up to there, put honey on them in an anthill or something. All right. And then the, the, uh, the, the Ishmael, Ishmaelites, boom, get them. Um, Potiphar, I'm going to get I'm going to get him. I'm going to get Potiphar's Potiphar's wife is just, you know, I'm going to get her. And then and then this cupbearer, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to go. That's really what most human beings would do. At the end of this, you've got you've got to be kidding. You you leave me lingering in prison for another two years. He forgets him and he's stuck in prison. And again, we have to ask the question, why is this happening to this innocent guy? He hasn't done anything. I mean, there's nothing so far that we've read over the last couple of weeks that says he's done anything wrong. 
Why is it happening to an innocent man? The answer is, listen to me, because this is the answer to you as well. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen, sometimes unjust, unfair world. But then the question is, okay, you have to ask yourself, the the reality is we live in a fallen world, okay, in an unjust, in many cases unjust, unfair world, okay? But you have to ask yourself, so now what? So now what? You've been through it. Some of you have been through it. The question, and I'm not saying, I'm not asking this question without any heart. I'm just asking the question. You get to a place where you have been through the ringer, but then you have to ask yourself the question, so now what? Am I going to give up? Am I throwing in the towel or am I going to keep moving forward? See, God was, he continued to be with Joseph. So Pharaoh has a dream now. Pharaoh has a dream and Pharaoh says, hey, I got to... I got to figure out someone to interpret my dream. And lo and behold, the cupbearer remembers, because now it's to his benefit. I know a guy. I know a guy. Okay. I know a guy. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me hook you up. I know a guy. So he gets Joseph. They get Joseph out of prison. And Joseph basically interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And the Pharaoh's dream is basically that he sees, uh, you know, he sees seven uh, uh, really sleek, beautiful cows coming out of the, out of the Nile. And then and, and these other ugly, uh, gaunt looking cows eat the other cows. And then he has the same thing with the wheat and the heads of wheat and the, the burned up wheat kind of eats. the. Other. And so he's like, what on what's going on? And Joseph interprets this for him in great detail. He says, listen, Pharaoh, it's the same dream you had. He had two dreams and he said it's the same message in both dreams. Same message in both dreams. Chapter 41, verses one through seven. And he goes and he explains to him the dream and the king believes him. And the, and the king says in verses 38 through 40, he says, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Incredible. This is this not an amazing rise to power? In, 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 in verse 41, we read this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. All of jo- Joseph's fortunes have just been turned around. It's, they've completely turned around. They reverse. It's stunning. It's stunning. Listen to me. It's stunning. But what does it mean to us? What it means to us is that we need to be resilient and we need to be prepared because life can change in a moment. Our lives can change in a moment. So we need to be resilient. We need to keep moving forward, knowing that God has a plan for our life and no one else can thwart God's will. But if we if we say I'm done, I've given I just give up. I don't want to do this anymore. You shake your fist to God. You curse God because you're in the midst of a real struggle and you think it's all God's fault. Why doesn't God do something? What you need to do is be resilient and prepared because he could change it in a moment. Remember last week I said that Joseph's life was turned completely upside down. He goes from a favored son to wearing the robe and it's all good. And then he gets to boom. He's thrown his sister and sold to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites. I sell him to Potiphar. His life is turned completely upside down. But in this case, it's for the better. His life is turned completely around. Listen, he, he wakes up in 
prison and goes to sleep that night in a palace. He goes from prison to a palace in literally a moment. His physical circumstances completely change. But what about his emotional state? I thought about this. Just asking the question. And you know the story from most of you know the story. But what about his physical state? How will his past affect his decisions in the future? How will his past influence his decisions for the future? That is a question that every single person in this room needs to answer. How will your past and what you've been through affect your decisions for the future? Are you going to throw it? Ah, you know what? Who cares? Since I slept with this person, I might as well sleep with everybody. Since I did this wrong thing, I might as well just go even further. Since I did this, since I cheated at work, I might as well. How does your behavior in the past, how does things that have happened to you, we've been abused in the past, right? You've been through horrible circumstances. So you've got to ask yourself the question, how is my past going to dictate my future? How am I when I get in this position now, am I going to go make sure I whack my brothers? You know, what I mean, is that what is that's how his past is going to affect his future? See, 13 years earlier, Joseph came to Egypt as a slave. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46, he says he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. If you if if you were here last week, we talked about the interweaving, okay, the foreshadowing, okay, of Joseph and Jesus. This this story is a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. I know someone else who was 30 years old when his life was changed as well. Joseph was used by God at 30 years old to save his people. That's what's happening here. God is putting him in a position for this whole famine to save his people. We talked about last week that Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver by Judah. And then we know that Jesus was betrayed by by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And if you go back and look in the original Hebrew, it's the same name. It's written. It's the it's the exact same name in the Hebrew, Judas and Judah. Same name. You want to talk about goosebumps? You want to talk about um, the sovereignty of God, the, the hand of God and all this? Not only does he keep pressing his purpose forward in Joseph's life, but he's weaving in, okay, simultaneously weaving in the story of Christ, the coming of the Messiah throughout Joseph's life and Joseph's story. See, we are all on a spiritual journey and God is with us every step of the way. He's with us. Now, some of you this morning, I know you feel like Joseph. I know you feel like Joseph. You feel rejected. You feel you feel rejected. You feel like you've been abused. You feel you feel like you've been lied to and lied about. You feel abandoned. You feel cheated. You you feel little. You feel you feel like you've been cheated. But listen to me. You haven't reached the end of your journey. Your story is not over yet. God is not finished with you yet. If you're breathing in and out, his story for your life is not over. And no matter what anyone threw at you and did to you and the evil they inflicted upon you, it cannot overcome the will of God in your life. He didn't do it to you, but he can turn it around for your good. Nothing, no man, no woman has inflicted anything on you that God cannot overcome if you would just hold on to Him with all of your strength, with all of your might, love Him with all of your soul. He will not let your story, okay, be told by someone else, someone else's choices. 
Joseph's story is not going to be told by his brother's choices or Potiphar's wife's choices or the Ishmaelites' choices or the king's choices or anyone else's choices. Joseph's story is told by God because Joseph is resilient and Joseph is determined and Joseph hangs on to God. See, it's not over for Joseph and it's not over for you. It's not over for me. Now you may be thinking, you know, you, you're talking about being resilient like Joseph is resilient. Yeah, I'm talking about resilience. And you're saying to yourself, you know what, Pastor? That sounds really good, but I am stinking exhausted. I am exhausted. I have been beat up, dragged behind a car. I feel like I'm death warmed over. I, and I agree. I, I understand that. I really do. I really do. And what you need to do is what Joseph did probably sat in those jail cells two years okay two years sat in that jail cell licking his wounds sometimes but then knowing he had that he had that intimate relationship with god and he drew on god's strength when he was sitting in that prison cell and there was nothing left and he's curled up in a ball and he's crying his eyes out what on earth has happened to my life i didn't do anything and instead of giving up and making plans on the wall, scraping off all the days that he's going to get to his brothers. He trusts God. He trusts God and he draws on that glory strength. Not his own strength. It's gone. That's been gone. He draws on God's strength. He draw, You need to draw on God's strength. And you listen to me. You need to remember who you are. You are a joint heir of Jesus Christ. When you ask Christ to come into your life, you know what that means? It means you're a joint heir. You are adopted into God's family. You are a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. You are that close to God. You're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. You belong to God. The spirit of God lives in you. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus literally said this in John fourteen twelve. Listen to these words. Anyone who believes in me will do the same work I do. You hear that? So either call Jesus Christ a bold-faced liar or listen to what I'm saying here. Anyone who believes in me will do the same work I do and even greater works because I am going to the father. When he goes to the father, we are filled with the spirit and the spirit of God lives in us and the power of the resurrection flows through us. And then we live these mediocre, lame lives. And I'm going, what the heck? Give me a break, church. Not just not just our church. I'm talking church in general. This is what Jesus said, and we live this mediocrity of like, oh, you know, this powerless life. Come on. We need to be resilient, and we need to know that individually God has destined us for something amazing in his kingdom. And now you take all those amazing individuals, you put them in a room together, and we all together say, my journey is you. We will walk together in our journey. What is it that we cannot accomplish? And the answer is nothing, nothing. Joseph stores up the food for the first seven years, gets it all stored up, right? Because good times, good times going on. He's got his plan. He's got his plan. Here's where we are. Here's where we need to be. Lake works out his plan. And then, and then the famine comes. Then the famine hits. People are starving. And it gets, this story gets even more interesting. This story gets even more amazing. And I'll tell you what happens next week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. And I pray, dear God, that not one person would leave this room this morning the same as when they walked in. 
I don't care if a person has never been to church before in their lives. They know, they resonated, Lord God, you know that with your word this morning. Every one of us understands what it's like to go through challenges in our lives, to be harmed by other people. But we have to ask ourselves the question, will we allow them, will we allow those people to dictate our destiny? Or will we allow you to dictate our destiny? God, I say for my life, I ask the question, how big is my God? And I say my God is bigger than anyone who's ever inflicted anything upon me. My God is bigger than any circumstance in my life. My God is bigger than any situation I might ever face. And I pray, dear God, that you give us the strength, that you give us the faith, that you give us the courage, that you give us the resilience to hold on to you with all of our might. You are worthy. You are our God. And you are worthy. And we pray, dear God, that you would use us individually and as a church in a powerful way to transform the lives of the people around us and to see our own lives transformed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.